Good morning. morning. Welcome to Veritas Church. Uh, I wanted to remind you, Jeff already mentioned it in the announcements, but I did want to reiterate and remind uh, that the introduction to Veritas lunch uh, details can be found in your bulletin on page 11. Uh, It will be on the 27th between 12.30 and 2.30. And we are asking that you let us know if you intend to come. This is a great opportunity uh, for you if you would like to get to know more about Veritas Church, uh, what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, Get to know some of our elders and our deacons uh, and a chance to familiarize yourself with a few of the members here as well. Uh, Hopefully there will be Uh, many of those in attendance with you. Uh, But we would like to know that you're coming. Uh, Feel free to bring your children. We will provide child care as needed. Uh, But you can let us know there are a couple of numbers, uh, Lindsey Briggs and uh, I believe Greg Balzer's numbers and names are in the bulletin as well. And there's also a link where you can uh, correspond with us and RSVP digitally. Uh, So if you would do that, Uh, Please do that and let us know that you're interested in coming. We're certainly interested in having you here. Uh, Again, that's August 27th between 1230 and 230. The sermon I'm going to preach today is a redo. Uh, And it's a redo because I had the bright idea to put it on flash drive so I could take it with me and work on it wherever I was. Which is a great idea until you lose the flash drive. (laughs) And then the world collapsed. Uh, And it was just uh, two or three days ago that that happened. And so trying to remember and reconstruct uh, what I had wasn't working out well. So this is a new sermon. Um, but I was a little distraught over losing the other one. I thought it was going on a really good track, and uh, to lose it was was kind of uh, disconcerting to me, and so I've been a little bummed about that and continuing to look wherever I go for a little black flash drive. But this morning, I received from God, I believe, a very special and encouraging blessing. I was driving behind a pickup truck that had a golden lab in the back, and this was probably the most excited, happiest dog I've ever seen. He was dashing back and forth, side to side, barking into the wind, just thrilled to go where he had no idea he was going. But he was happy to be getting there. And I'm happy to be here with you. And I hope you're happy to be here with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the presence of our good and glorious God. So, moving into our sermon, let me read once more. I'll try not to take too long with this lengthy text. What was it again, Jeff? I forget. (laughs) Verses 8, 26 through 27 in the book of Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the Word of God. Not my flash drive, but somebody lost a pen. (laughs) I have two jobs. I have a provisional job, and I have a job of passion. And in both of them, I'm an analyst. In the labors of provision, I analyze budgets for the state of California. In my labors of passion, I serve this church as a preacher and teacher, for I analyze scripture. My aim in each of those roles is to take the complex 
and provided to others with clarity and simplicity. I don't always do that well. My family will attest to that. I'm a details kind of guy, and I like to put all the details out there, and sometimes that can muddy the walls. But in doing both of those forms of analysis, I have found that typically it is a much easier thing to do with numbers than it is with Scripture. For instance, let me give you this example. In Matthew 26, just prior to his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion, God the Son prays to God the Father three times, asking that if there is any other way by which mankind can be redeemed from their sin, could the approaching cup of suffering and agony be removed from him? And three times as well, he ends his prayers with, yet not my will, but your will be done. That's a difficult passage. It's a difficult passage because on the surface, it sounds like Jesus, who in John 12, 27, says he had come for this very hour, and who lived every second of his life in perfect accord with God's will, now knowing the suffering death that lay before him, was at that moment and in that circumstance struggling with what to pray. Today's passage, Romans 8, 26 and 27, Addressing our own struggles with prayer is a difficult one as well. In fact, John Piper regards our verses as two of the hardest in Romans 8. That's saying a lot. And in 2 Peter 3.16, when the Apostle Peter acknowledges that there are some things in Paul's writing that are hard to understand, I'm pretty sure he had these two verses in mind. And it's not just the language that's difficult, it's the subject matter too. And maybe it's more so the subject matter than the language. Because if there's anywhere, in any one area of our Christian life that most of us struggle It's in this area of prayer. And specifically, our struggles with praying in harmony with God's will. We understand the importance of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. But we're still often frustrated with the practice of prayer. But I believe today's text is going to encourage us as it reveals God's understanding and sure presence in the midst of that dilemma. We're going to mine the treasure from these verses by digging into them with four questions. The first questions, the first three, we're going to ask of verse 26. The fourth question we're going to ask of verse 27. And these are the questions we're going to ask of these verses. One, What does the Spirit do? What does the Spirit do? Two, why do we need the Spirit's help? Three, how does the Spirit help us? And four, why is the Spirit's help so helpful? So as we look at these verses on prayer, my prayer is that we'll all come away with a a greater understanding of the Holy Spirit's work in the prayer life of believers. And now speaking on prayer, before I preach on prayer, we should pray. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, Lord, 
we come to you with a task needing divine intervention. We come to you with the dilemma of praying rightly. Praying rightly for others, praying rightly for ourselves, praying rightly for this world, and doing so in accordance with your perfect and right will. Lord, we want to pray according to your will. We crave the ability to pray according to your will. And yet, Lord, we so often struggle in doing so. So, Lord, as we read through these verses today, as we study through these verses today, and as I preach through these verses today, Lord, would you illuminate our hearts with encouragement and truth that we might leave today knowing that in praying we have a great helper in the Holy Spirit. Father, would you give me boldness and clarity in my preaching today, And would you make hearts fertile to receive it? In the name of Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Is that better? (laughs) Okay. Our first question is, what does the Spirit do? And the verse we're looking at is the first part of verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And there in its simplicity is the answer. How the Spirit helps us is it helps us in our weakness. That's what the Spirit does. But these are difficult verses, and these difficult verses could have been made much, much simpler if Paul had just written, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'd have been good with that. I could have worked with that. I would have been helped by that. And I would have also likely twisted it to mean something far different than Paul means. We know verses like that. I can do all things. Win a football game. (laughs) Through Christ who strengthens me. So I would have messed this up. But fortunately, Paul, knowing that I and you would mess this up, didn't do that. Paul began these verses and sets out our first hurdle with the word likewise. Your Bibles may have in the same way or in like manner, and regardless of whether they have likewise or those other translations, Likewise, forces us to identify a connection between what's being said now and something that was said before it, something that came earlier. The difficulty with this is that there are several possibilities for that connection. Some commentators connect likewise directly to the groanings of verses 8, 22, and 23, where The whole creation groans and we groan as we await the redemptions of our bodies and the fulfillment of our adoption. And although I do see the connection with those verses, it's not a direct connection between likewise and the Spirit's intercession. A direct connection there would need to read likewise The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And to establish that link in that way would require a restructuring of Paul's words. And Deuteronomy 4.2 and 12.32 and Revelation 22.18 forbid us from doing that. Others connect likewise to a more general theme. 
a theme of the Spirit Himself, connecting it with the numerous references to the Holy Spirit found throughout chapter 8. Verses 2, 4, 5, 9, 11, 13, 14, 15, 16. And I can see the reason for that. Beautifully identified as the Spirit of life, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. Those verses afford us marvelous insight into the wondrous works and the infinite worth of the Holy Spirit. Listen to some of the things that are said there. The law of the Spirit of life regenerated us, setting us free from the law of sin and death so that we now live according to the rule of the Holy Spirit. As children of God, we delight in what the Holy Spirit desires and are now controlled not by our old sin nature, but by the Holy Spirit. Christ dwells in us as our guarantee that he will raise us up on the last day. Empowered by the Spirit of God, we can daily put sin to death. There's more. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits, pointing us toward full and final salvation. The Holy Spirit guides us in the way of righteousness. Those are all wonderful things. And those verses are awesome and good to read and meditate and pray over. What encouragements are found there? So given all that, while I understand how verses 26 and 27 could be connected to the Holy Spirit's prominence in chapter 8, I still believe Paul has a more specific and direct connection in mind. I agree with those who see likewise as a bridge connecting today's text and the theme of hope. The idea being that even in the midst of trials and suffering, we looked at this last July as Romans verses are eight verses uh, eighteen through twenty-five. We can endure those trials and sufferings with patience. Because we have in Christ the hope of future glory. And here's the connection. Likewise, we can be encouraged in our weakness, having the promise of the Spirit's intercession for us. Let me put them all together, and you listen for that connection yourself. Romans 18 through 25 and verse 26. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you see that connection with hope? So along with everything else said earlier in Romans 8, we learn here from verses 26 and 27 that the same Spirit who is dwelling in us continually helps us in all the weaknesses we experience in this life. Especially, as Paul points out here, our weakness in prayer. When Paul uses the word helps, the meaning is someone carrying a heavy load and another person comes alongside to take the other end to bear the burden with him. We see the same use of help with the same meaning in Luke 10, 
where Mary, busy with much serving, seeing her sister sitting at Jesus' feet, says to the Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha was asking the Lord for her sister's help in bearing the burden of preparing and serving the meal. She needed and wanted and was asking for help. But in no way does the word helps imply that the Holy Spirit does all the work for us. As we sit back and wait patiently for the heavenly prize to patrol to show up with answers to our prayers. Rather, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 18 makes clear that along with giving praise and thanks, we are to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So even as the Spirit comes alongside of us, we are to keep praying, we're to keep serving, and we're to keep obeying in whatever capacity God has revealed that we should according to Scripture and that Scripture may command of our situation. When we moved to Sacramento, uh, it's been 40 years ago now, just uh, a month ago, 40 years, uh, we didn't know anyone. And Linda was very pregnant with our second child. So when we needed to get a couch up to a second floor apartment, it was me and me alone. I did that by throwing a rope down and hoisting that couch up. Now, fortunately, I was in my early 20s and could do that. Nowadays, we'd have to sit on the front lawn on our couch. (laughs) I've moved a lot of other couches since then. And... I'm sure that you already know this, but whether it's a first floor or a second floor, moving a couch is a whole lot easier with the help of somebody else. It's much easier with someone who's come alongside and picked up the other end of that burden. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit says, Let me grab the other end. Let me grab the heavy end. Let me help you carry this burden and set it before the Father's throne. I hope you're already seeing the source of this as a great encouragement. Knowing that in our times of struggle, in our times of weakness, the Holy Spirit, the the Christ-promised comforter, the counselor, our never-failing advocate, our paracletus, meaning one called to the side of another, faithfully comes alongside us, helping us bear our burdens. And that brings us to question number two. Why do we need the Spirit's help? That's answered For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. This isn't speaking to our not praying as often as we ought to, though it's quite likely that we don't. Especially considering that verse in 1 Thessalonians calling us to pray without ceasing. But here Paul is speaking to our not knowing what to pray, not to how often we pray. In James 4, we read, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And as sinners, that's true. 
Even our sincerest prayers, even our most heartfelt prayers are tainted with selfish sin. When we pray for a loved one, we are praying because we love them and we're praying that we not suffer their loss. There is always an us factor in our prayers. So our weakness in praying is that we don't know what to pray for. And when we do pray, we don't pray rightly. We don't pray as we ought. I believe that's what Paul is speaking to here. Our greatest frustration is rooted in our not knowing the secret will of God when praying over matters of sickness, suffering, and hardship. We don't know whether to pray for the healing or the strength to endure. Of course, neither is right or wrong, and it's right to pray for both. But don't we long to pray with great faith? And we groan that we are not sure what God's will is in this sickness or loss or this persecution. In our limited intellect, our finite understanding, in our human weakness, frailty, and mortality, we just don't know. For instance, suppose a loved one is stricken with cancer. We devotedly pray for healing. But even as we do so, we don't know if it's God's will that they should live or that they should die. It's in this context of the decay, misery, and futility so evident and rampant and thick in this world that I'm compelled to link these verses with verses 18 and 25, where we read of groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Though the Spirit will one day raise our mortal bodies from the dead, and we look forward with gladness and anticipation to that wondrous day, for now our bodies groan under the curse of the fall. Paul was personally familiar with this predicament. Eric just recently preached on this. In Philippians 1, 21 through 23, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote these verses we read today, struggled with the same dilemma. Knowing what to pray and not being able to pray according to God's will as he ought to. What he, what he writes to us and to the church in Rome isn't an admonition against them. It's a confession by him. He knew the same struggling with prayer that we know. But of course, sickness isn't the only crisis situation over which we might pray. We can also be perplexed between God asking God for financial increase or just and help to live us more simply. Between bringing a spouse into our life or living in patient satisfaction to him in singleness, do we move or do we stay? Do we start a business or be content where we're working now? Of course, whatever we do, 
is according to God's will. Ultimately, we cannot be outside of God's sovereignty for us. Kevin DeYoung wrote a book called Just Do It. (laughs) And the message in the book is, yes, pray for God's guidance. Pray for God's leading you in those directions. And as you do that, do something. If God doesn't want you going in the direction you're going, he will redirect your steps. But still, we struggle in our prayers regarding those decisions. And these are the kind of crisis prayers that make it easy to heed Scripture's edict and include in our prayers the dependent confession, if it's your will. Do you pray like that? I pray like that. And I pray like that because I'm not sure what to pray as I ought to. I don't know God's will. Should they live? Should they die? I don't know God's will. Will they be saved or will they not? So I pray. And I pray earnestly. And I pray knowing that God is able And God is sufficient. And God will, if it's his will. And what he will do is whatever his will is to do. My job is to pray. Question three is, how... Does the Spirit help us? The Scripture says, But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What does that mean? You have no idea how long and Often I asked myself that staring at the page of my Bible. What? Where earlier I contended that I would have preferred purely for the sake of simpler exegesis for Paul not to have included the word likewise. Here the opposite is true. I'm so thankful that Paul included the word himself because in doing so Paul does us a great great favor by prompting us to recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person the third person he's not an impersonal force or power as some false religions would teach Paul says that he helps us in our weakness by prayerfully interceding for us on our behalf, which an impersonal force simply cannot do. The wind cannot do anything for you except muss up your hair, blow off your hat. Or distract you while you lose a flash drive. (laughs) I don't know. But it's good that Paul reminds us that the Spirit is the person. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in creation. The same Holy Spirit who Christ promised to send when he left. Is the same Holy Spirit that now intercedes for us. And carries our prayers directly to God. I need to know that. I need to remember that. You need to know that. And you need to remember that. Especially when you're struggling with prayer. We sang a song earlier. It's on page 7 of your bulletins. 
What an awesome song to sing out loud to yourself when you find yourself vapor-locked in prayer. Oh God, you never leave my side. You're here right now in the presence of the Holy Spirit who will take my feeble petition and make it grand prayer that he delivers to you according to your perfect will. That pumps me up. I want to pray right now. <laughs> I'll bet you not. <laughs> In fact, this is the exact means given to us by Paul that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, namely by praying for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I don't know of anything anywhere within the pages of Scripture that I can compare this to. This is standalone theology for me. But it's so helpful. So what does that mean? It means I can place my faith in God. And I can place my hope in the Holy Spirit that he will rightly convey my needs and rightly direct me according to God's will each and every time, in each and every moment. And that is encouraging. That is blessing me. But in order to try to understand this better, I needed to break it down into the bite-sized pieces. The bite-sized questions, if you will. What does it mean to intercede? Well, this is the easiest question to answer. And it only requires us to know the word's Latin root, sedera, meaning to go. So the most literal meaning of intercede is go between. If you've been unjustly blamed for something, a friend may act as your go-between and intercede on your behalf with the authorities. That's what it means. That was easy. What's meant by groaning and who does the groaning? It's a little tough one. This was not quite so easy to throw the Latin word at. First, what does groaning mean? It's, let's be clear about this. Because I have experienced churches that taught this. This is not an unintelligible language. It's not, as some would argue, speaking in tongues. Paul says clearly that the groanings referred to here are too deep for words. And that would exclude all words. Even words purportedly spoken in tongues. As in the case of the connection to likewise, there are, of course, different views of what is meant by groanings. Now, let, let me say that I, I love commentaries. I love the minds and the faith of those who have come before me, men of much greater understanding, of much deeper education, uh, wiser, more experienced, more godly men than I uh, that have written commentaries. And so I love them. I have a lot of them. Uh, I'm selective in the ones that I keep and, and acquire. Um, but 
commentaries should not do the thinking for us. Commentaries should drive us to question why and how they came to a conclusion and lead us to think. And it's really, really nice. I'll confess this. When you read four or five commentaries and they all stack. Yeah. That's what I think too. <laughs> That's nice. Doesn't often happen. But it's nice. Didn't happen this time. <laughs> It didn't even come close to happening this time. <laughs> the commentaries I have are by men whose... I, I, I am not qualified to open the door of their taxi. <laughs> I assure you of that. The, these are men I greatly admire, and when they speak, I shut up. So it was kind of comforting to know that they didn't really know either. <laughs> and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wade into deep waters here as I uh, share their thoughts or a few of their thoughts. I, I'm not going to share who thought what thought because I don't want to get into an Apollos, Paul, Peter sort of thing. And I'm afraid that if I name names you will vapor lock on whoever's thought you most follow. So some argue that the wording of this sentence implies that these are the groans of the Spirit Himself, of which we're not aware. Let me just say simply, this is not my view. Others understand this as referring to groanings that originate from the Spirit, but are experienced by believers. The Spirit burdens us with inexpressible longings to know and do the will of God, and then clearly expresses those burdens to the Father on our behalf. Now, I really had to study that context. And although I'm far from dogmatic on this, I am certainly open to being shown differently and being taught new. And I'm not opposed to changing my mind on this, but at present I also hold this view. And the reason I hold this view is that I find it consistent with and in fact necessary for are maintaining the integrity of our initial context. I'm referring back to the foundation that the truth of these verses relates to and flows from likewise in verses 18 through 25. And so I think that in that context of verses 22 and 23, wherein... Again, the whole creation and we ourselves are groaning and suffering, suffering inwardly. Groaning is an inherent part not of the Spirit, but that groaning is an inherent part of the weakness, futility, pain, and decay of this fallen world. Creation is groaning. We are groaning. And in our struggling prayers, we groan inwardly as God's Holy Spirit inspires us to deeper prayers. That also suggests that the groans of verse 26 are a part of this weakness and fallenness. And, and I think that's a legitimate following connection with the connection that we made earlier. I think that works together in a whole context and is uniform and right. I think Paul's intention is to paint a picture 
of the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf as he carries our deepest emotional needs, our every heartfelt, life-impacting hurt and care, laying them at the foot of the Father's throne, each of them delivered and expressed in perfect accord with the will of our good God. So I think that the groans here are our groans, inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit. And if that's right, and I think again it is, it means that in the very midst of our deepest frustrations and our greatest hurts, our groanings are the work of God. God's Spirit working for us and not against us. Now to the question of why the Spirit's help is helpful. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In choosing Israel's first king, Samuel selected Paul, And he selected Paul because he was the tallest and best-looking man in Israel. Paul looked the part. Paul was the Sean Connery of the biblical world. He looked like a king. He looked regal. And yet Paul's reign was a disappointing and disobedient one. So when God led Samuel to select his successor to the throne, the prophet nearly made the same mistake by judging by appearances. With seven elder brothers, the boy David seemed insignificant. Yet it was God's will that he be anointed king, saying to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. And just as God knew the heart of David, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. He also searches and knows our hearts. He knows and searches my heart. He knows and searches your heart. He knows and searches the heart of all men. And because of that, our prayers should come from the heart. We might impress others with spiritual sounding, mighty and high, eloquent, elaborate prayers. But those prayers, those prayers don't impress God. The prayers we want to offer God are the prayers of simple hearts, trusting hearts, the prayers of honest hearts. But what if you're fearful that your prayers aren't in accord with God's will? And the answer is they're probably not as often as they are. Maybe they're not more often than they are. But that's why it's so important to remember that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit doesn't eliminate our need to prayer, but He's always present and faithful to help us in our prayer. But of course, the Holy Spirit cannot help with prayers that are not prayed. Our weakest prayers are by the work of the Holy Spirit in accordance with God's will. Not by our efforts, not by our wisdom, not by our faith, not by our knowledge, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed and taught his disciples to pray. And as we read in Hebrews 10, 7, 
All that Jesus did was done in obedience to God's will. And Scripture calls us to pray. So in your prayers, whether they are elementary or eloquent, whether they are complex or simple, the fact that you are praying, lifting your needs and hopes and dependencies to the God of heaven and earth, you are in accordance with God's will according to God's word. God calls us to pray. God calls us to seek Him, to depend on Him. He calls us to know Him. But God also knows our weakness. He understands our limited intellect and our limited faith. And in spite of all this, He still desires our communion with Him. He's our Father. He loves us. Have you ever had a toddler come up to you, look into your face, and start this intense dialogue with babbling words that you have no concept what they mean? But he's serious. She's serious. And you should be paying attention. And sometimes they'll even stop and wait for you to answer. And we do things like, "Uh uh-huh, yes, that's right. The words make no sense to us as adults. We don't understand them. So elementary. So outside of our knowledge. So beneath us and our intellect and our vocabularies. And when that happened, did you look at that child and say, stop talking to me? Don't talk to me until you graduated Oxford (laughs) and communicate on my level. Of course not. Or maybe you have an older child that's come to you and asked for something. But what they've asked for you know would be dangerous or inappropriate for them. So, in your mature wisdom, you say, no. But, in your maturity, in your intellect and understanding, did you look at them and say, no, and don't ask for anything else until you only ask for right things? course not. We wouldn't do that because we love our children. And we love spending time with our children. And we love communicating with our children, even if we don't understand what they're saying. We love talking to them at any time. And for any reason. They're our children. It's the same with God. Our ways aren't His ways. His ways are higher than our ways and always will be. We we can have this delusion that when we get to heaven, we'll know all there is to know about God. I've got bad, bad news. Uh Uh-uh. God's always going to be God. And we're never going to be God. There are churches where you supposedly can be, but this isn't one of them. (laughs) We're kind of fond of the Bible here, and it says no. But God wants you to come to Him. God wants you to talk to Him. He wants that because He loves you. He's not grading your papers with prayer. He's listening to your heart. And that's what he wants from you. Your heart. Love God with all what? Your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. God only wants one thing from you. Everything. 
and he wants your heart. Sometimes we get frustrated because we, we misunderstand what prayer is. We think of prayer as getting God to change his mind. Listen, God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't need to because his way is always perfect, right, and good. And if he changed his mind, that would mean that it really wasn't originally perfect, right, and good. But he's God, and it is. So prayer doesn't change God's mind, but it does change us. Prayer is what gives us the, well, prayer is what calms our hearts. It gives us perspective and points us in a God-honoring direction. Prayer is what gives us the privileged opportunity to talk things through with the glorious, omnipotent creator of heaven and earth. And we get to call him Father. What privileged blessing we have in prayer. To be able to take our petty needs, our insecurities, our feeble fears to God. Say, Father, I just need to talk to you about this. He will never say, stop talking. Prayer can change circumstances, not because God changes his mind, but because God in his sovereignty has chosen to use our prayers as the means of accomplishing his will. Prayer is one way that we can bring God's blessing into our life and the lives of others. A well-known example of God's will being sovereign over our prayers, is found in Augustine's godly mother. See? Dialogue going on. (laughs) Augustine's mother, Monica, for years she earnestly prayed for Augustine's salvation, the salvation of her wayward and sinful son. And when he told her that he was going to move to Italy, She prayed that he would not, fearing that he'd be led into additional and deeper sin there. But Augustine did go, and it was in Italy that Augustine came to Christ. The Spirit took her deepest desire, her son's salvation, and redirected it before God's throne. And her son got saved and became one of the most influential theologians in Christian history in disobedience to his mother and according to God's will. And there are also many here today among us that are able to testify to the effectiveness of prayer. But of course, they couldn't do that had they not first prayed. Listen, the reality is that this side of eternity, at least, will never fully understand the mystery of prayer. But we know that the Lord commands us to pray. He has ordained prayer as a means through which we cooperate with him in bringing about his sovereign will. He encourages with the truth that the Holy Spirit who dwells in us tenderly takes our prayers and directs them according to God's will before the throne. Of course, we should always strive for prayer that aligns rightly with God's will. But if, God decreed, but if God's decreed will differs from our prayers, the Spirit will correct our requests to line up with that will. And so even, to, even though it seems to us that our requests are denied in God's sovereign plan, they will be answered. In conclusion... 
These verses are wonderful promises for those who trust in Christ. But their promise is to the followers of Christ alone. No one has ever received the interceding Holy Spirit without first receiving Christ as Savior and following Him as Lord. As 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 tell us, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Regardless of what you say, regardless of what you've heard, God only hears the prayers of those who pray within this relationship with Christ. And that's what it means when we say we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray in His authority because we pray in His Lordship. The first step to an effective prayer life, or really life at all, is to turn to Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Admit your sin. Acknowledge His sacrificial provision for it. And receive God's Spirit to transform your life. There's a lot of people here today that would be happy to talk with you about how that works. About how they came to Christ and what it means to be in Christ. So if you're not in Christ today, grab somebody that looks happy. There's a reason they're happy. They're happy because they're saved by Christ's shed blood. They're enjoying life because they're redeemed through His sacrifice. And they're ready to pray for you by the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. For the believer, we need to understand God doesn't need us and want us stressed out over prayer. He's not concerned about the words we use or the fluency of our speech or whether or not we understand His perfect will in every situation. He just wants us to pray. He wants to hear from His children. He speaks to us through Christ and through His Word, and we speak back through prayer. Don't stress over prayer. Just pray. The indwelling Holy Spirit and Christ Jesus, our Savior King, they'll do the rest. Let me leave you with this thought from a fellow named Hudson Taylor. He was the the founder of the China Inland Mission. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Be a great man of God by knowing that God stands with you in all that you do in His name. You don't need to be successful. God is successful. You don't need to know every aspect of God's perfect will. God knows every aspect of His perfect will. And you don't need to bring about His will. He'll take care of that too. So praise God for Romans 8, 26 and 27. And the encouraging truth that God doesn't confront us or condemn us for being weak, but rather in His love for us, sent His Spirit to dwell in us and perpetually help us in our weakness. Would you bow your heads with me as I close this in prayer? Father in heaven, glorious Lord, mighty King of all that is, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus, whom you sent as a propitiation for our sins, a sacrificial payment for our redemption, to live according to your perfect will and die for our salvation. 
And thank you, Lord God, that in Christ we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who comforts, counsels, and intercedes on our behalf in our weakness. Father, would you please remind us as we pray that though our prayers are feeble and lacking in understanding and unsure in content, that your Holy Spirit knows all the mind of God and takes those feeble prayers and brings them to you in accordance with your will that you might grant our requests, that you might meet our needs according to the love that you have for us. We ask you these things in the name of Christ, your blessed Son, our Holy Savior. Amen.